So now the serpent was more cunning than any of the beasts of the field, which the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, um, has God indeed said, you shall not eat of every tree of the garden? So first we're introduced now to a new character that is going to last the entire length of the Bible and beyond. And that is Satan. And let's take a little bit of time here and, and let's try to get a picture of this opponent of ours. A very evil, ruthless, uh, weird, bizarre. He's psychotic. He's, he's completely messed up. And his thinking uh, is, is so evil, so twisted, that it makes no sense to a rational mind. But yet he knows how to trick even the smartest, even some of the most righteous. And of course, this is, uh, this is pretty easy pickings, you know? to trick a, a five-year-old out of his candy, right? I mean, it's not like you walk away going, boy, am I a good carnatus, you know? I just uh, swindled those bunch of kindergartners. Oh, I'm really something. So th this story doesn't make the devil a something. It, it just, um, because this, this was really not difficult for, for him whatsoever uh, to take somebody that, that has a childlike heart and mind and, and view of things and to mess it up. You, you understand that? Any idiot can blow up a building, but it takes a whole bunch of geniuses to build a building. It takes a lot of skilled people, right? An idiot can blow something up in a minute, but it, it, it takes months, years to, for some of these architects and financiers and builders and all kinds of masons and all kinds of uh, people with just an amazing skill. I love going and looking at the old buildings that were built, you know, in, in Europe a thousand, two thousand years ago, and 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 over here in our country, you know, a couple hundred years are are so old. They're still it, it's just it's just amazing. I, I just I'm just in awe of the, of, of certain buildings and architecture. But anyway, he, he's going to smash stuff, and it doesn't make him great or powerful because he can destroy stuff. But that's who he is, a destroyer. And he's going to take something pure and make it impure. He's going to take something perfect and wonderful and turn it into something that can no longer be livable. Um, I, I wasn't talking about our governor right then. That just sort of paralleled. But uh, anyway, I don't know how that worked out. But anyway, in Ezekiel 28, we learn quite a bit about this guy. Now, in, in each time here, Ezekiel, he ties it in with the king of Tyre and Sidon. And, and sort of that government was representative of the characteristics of the devil. In a minute in Isaiah 14, he's going to take that of Babylon and do the same thing and, and compare the, the wickedness that Babylon was doing and, and showing how that is also like the devil. And so here in, in Ezekiel 28, verse 11, he says, Moreover, the word of the Lord came to me, 
in, in, in verse 11 here, Ezekiel 28, Son of man, take up lamentation against the king of Tyre and say to him, thus says the Lord God. Now, in actuality, he is describing twofold, but mainly about the devil. You were a sill of perfection, full of wisdom and perfect in beauty. You were in Eden, the garden of God. <laughs> okay, and we know that the king of Tyre wasn't, right? Every precious stone was your covering. The sardis, the tobas, the diamond, the beryl, the onyx, the jasper, the sapphire, the turquoise, the emerald with gold. A workmanship of your timbles and pipes. This is where we get the idea that he was probably a worship leader in heaven. He was prepared for you on the day you were created. You had incredible music, musical ability. And boy, you, you do see how Satan likes to move the world with music, don't you? Even to today. You were the anointed cherub who covers. He was the top of the top angels, a group of the top angels. I established you. You were on the holy mountain of God. You walked back and forth in the midst of the fiery stones. You were perfect in your ways from the day you were created till iniquity was found in you. Pride. By the abundance of your trading, now he's going back more to Tyre and Sidon, you became filled with violence within you and you sinned. Therefore, I cast you as a profane thing out of the mountain of God. I destroyed you, O covering cherub, from the midst of the fiery stones. Your heart was lifted up because of your beauty. You corrupted your wisdom for the sake of your splendor. Boy, it says a lot in those two lines of verse 17. I cast you to the ground. I laid you before kings. They might gaze at you. This is his future. You defiled your sanctuaries by the multitude of your iniquities, by the iniquities of your trading. Therefore, I brought fire from your midst and devoured you, and I will turn you into the ash upon the earth. In the sight of all who saw you, all who knew you among the peoples of the astonished at you, you have become a whore and shall be no more forever. In Isaiah 14 now, he starts in verse 12. How you have fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning. How you cut down to the ground. You were weak in the nations. You have said in your heart, I will ascend into heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I will also sit on the mount of the congregation on the farthest side of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will be like the most high. Take a note of that. Yet you shall be brought down to Sheol, to the lowest depth of the pit. Those who see you will gaze at you and consider you saying, this is the man who had made the earth tremble and who shook the kingdoms and who made the world as a wilderness and destroyed its cities. Who did not open the house of the prisoners? Is this that guy? Jesus told the apostles when they were sort of proud of themselves about casting demons out of people, he said, hey, I saw Satan fall like lightning out of heaven. And of course, he was falling at the, right at the edge of my boot, kicking him out. But uh, yeah, you, you think casting out a demon is something. Um, see this foot right here? Uh, yeah, I kicked him right out of heaven. Well, listen to the description in Revelation twelve nine. So the great dragon was cast out, the serpent of old, 
called the devil Satan, who deceives the world. He was cast to the earth and his angels were cast out with him. Thus we get demons. In Revelation 20, verse 2 and 3, he laid hold of the dragon, that serpent of old, who is the devil, Satan, bound him for a thousand years and cast him into the bottomless pit, shut him up, set a seal on him so that he should be not should deceive the nations no more till the thousand years were finished, the end of the millennial reign. But after these things, he must be released for a little while. And you might remember where Moses was told to take a serpent and put on the top of a pole. And, and if they did that, when the people were bit by a snake and the poison wouldn't kill them, but they would look to the serpent, which was representing to the people the devil, evil, sin, any kind of ugliness or wickedness or de- of rebellion or any kind of uh, all the things that are in our life, the greed, the, the hatred, the anger, the bitterness, the rebellion, all of that was representative. And in John 3, Jesus says, that's me. I became all of your rebellion. I became all of your wickedness. I became all of your vileness. And so, if you would, the serpent represents not just Satan. It represents all the wickedness of man as well. And what Satan did with Eve in the garden can happen today. In 2 Corinthians 11, verse 3 and 4, but as I fear, lest somehow as, just like The serpent deceived Eve by his craftiness, so your minds may be corrupted from the simplicity that's in Christ. For if he who comes to you preaches another gospel or another Jesus whom we have not preached, or you receive a different spirit whom you have not received, or a different gospel which you have not accepted, you may well put up with it. And so I want to take a note here in in verse 1 that the serpent was more cunning. And, and it appears that, uh, again, at this point in time, I, I don't think we have a million different type of cats, okay? I think there's probably one cat, one species of cat. From that one species of cat will come all the other types of cats upon the earth. We have one set of man and wife, but yet within them, is all the different species of man that one day will populate the earth. All the colors, all the eye eye types, all the different, eventually, nationalities. We'll talk about that. The Bible mentions when that happened. And so I don't think we have a whole bunch of, uh, of different types of snakes. I think we have one type of reptile at this time. And in that reptile would be all the different types of reptiles on the planet. And so he, he is saying from you, this one common species, and at this point, he, he, he says it's not just like a serpent that we see on the ground today. Revelation says it was, it was more like a dragon. And, and again, they didn't have actual dragons in the Bible time. They had them in their mythology as, as we and ours. But he, he is saying that it, it wasn't so simple as seeing a snake like we see today. Now, all of those snakes did come from that dragon, that snake, whatever it was. And that's why they are 
slithering on the ground today. But at this time, uh, many estimate that maybe they had wings. That's why he was there. He was, it was something beautiful. It was something very intelligent. It may have been more like a dragon. Uh, not necessarily a gigantic one, but something in those kind of, that kind of look. But in essence, Satan is, had the big blowout in heaven whenever that happened. I, I do think it happened as we talked about between one, verse 1 and verse 2 of, of Revelation 1 called the gap theory. And I, I know there's a lot of problems with that theory, but I do think that's when that happened. And then there was a recreation of after Satan destroyed it. But I think he, he's looking at these creatures and he is saying, okay, this one over here is beautiful. And this one here is, seems to be very, very getting its way. Let me just say that, you know, he seems to be able to get the other animals out of his way and, and, and you know, he's got his area, uh, uh, you know, and, and nobody messes with him and he's beautiful and he seems to be a little more intelligent than some of the other creatures that he's observing. And so in, in his mind, you know, it's like, what kind of animal do you represent? Oh, I represent a dolphin. I represent a tiger, you know, whatever. Well, this represented the devil. He, he was going, this is, this is similar to my nature. Sort of getting his way, sort of cunning, sort of a, more intelligent than the other animals, beautiful. That's the one I'm going to possess. And that's the one I'm going to speak my deception and lies through the most cunning of all creatures, and I'll be cunning. Somehow, um, guys, I keep cutting out. I don't, when I bend down there, I'm not sure why that is. But uh, you guys, I don't think it's you back, unless it's you back there. Every, every once in a while, Bill's falling asleep and doing this. I don't know. It's like, but um, anyway, he asked a, a very accusatory question. It would be like if I ask one of you guys, hey, have you, beat your life? have you been beating your wife lately? And somebody overhears that. The fact is you never have beaten your wife, but yet the assumption is going to be he must have at some time because Brian asked him that question. Why would you ask the question unless it had been an issue? Well, in this case... He's in essence saying, I know God's oppressive. I know God's holding you back. I know God has rules for you that are oppressive to you. Exactly to what extent is God oppressing you? That's in essence what he's asking here. He says to the, the woman, has God indeed said you shall not eat of every tree of the garden? It makes it sound like there's you know, it's only a few trees you get to eat from, or there's a whole bunch of trees you don't get to eat from, that you're really being limited. You're living in the garden, but you're not really free. You're living in the garden, but you, you got to really sort of be careful, you know, because it's not really yours to just be free in, because God's got you under these rules. That was the impression. And, and of course, whether Eve realized it or not, these Lies of the devil affect her. We know that, right? 
The lies affect us. Even if we know they're lies. If you hear it enough, it affects you. And in verse 2 and 3 now, And the woman said to the serpent, Oh, we may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden, but the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God has said, You shall not eat, nor shall you touch it, lest you die. Now, again, she is in her naivety thinking that he's asking a genuine, honest question. He doesn't know that he's deceiving her and directing her to, to basically trick her. But, but she says, uh, no, it's, you know, we, we can't eat of that, that one tree. N- matter of fact, we, we can't even touch it. Now, did God ever say anything about touching this tree? He absolutely did not. She completely made this up. But, but understand, that's the way she understood God's word. Is it's, it needs help. <laughs> you see, there are some people that say, well, you read God's word, but you really need to listen to me explain it to you. The cult leaders will say because when I teach it to you, then you'll really understand. There's a hidden meaning or there's a, a nuance to it that I'll, I'll explain it to you. As I said earlier, the serpent deceive you from the simplicity that's in Christ. That when it starts getting mystical and complicated and we got to all, you know, talk about it and, and, you know, and try to figure it out. It's not from God. And, and there's people saying, yeah, you got to help God's word by adding to it. Well, you, you got you to gotta help God's word and make it more palatable to our generation by taking away from it. You see, there are churches that can't teach verse by verse of the Bible because they know if they tell the people in their church certain things that the Bible clearly says, they will leave mad. So they, they purposely have a five-week series on being the best you, you know, the 10-week series on being the most loving person, you know, the, the eight-week series on your personality type and how to get ahead with your personality type. And, and I'm not saying they're not preaching the gospel. I'm just saying they can't teach the whole counsel of God because their people won't tolerate it. And so they're actually taken away from God's word by just simply not talking about it. And so are you under the impression that God's word has a general truth, not specific truths? You see, that's the way most of Christianity views God's Bible. I was in a denomination that said, we believe God's word is the inerrant word of God in matters of faith and salvation. What's that little tricky doctrinal statement say? We believe Jesus died and rose again. Outside of that, the Bible's full of a bunch of errors. Do they believe there's a real Adam and Eve? No. Do they believe there was a real flood? No. The professors I had in college most of them did not believe there was a real devil. They believed there was evil. But they did not believe the Bible specifically. 
They did not believe that Jesus said anything the Gospels say. Those are what monks wrote. <laughs> Those are what people wrote hundreds of years after Christ because it was the kind of things they wanted to hear Jesus say, so they had him say it. Did you know there's missing books of the Bible? They won't let us put them in our Bible. Missing manuscript. You know, the Catholics have five extra books in their Bible. Why don't you? They're always telling you. You can't take the word of God as the word of God because it's not really there. Some of it's in there. You got to pull it out. I'll let you know when it is and what it isn't. Do you, do you, do you understand? I think of King David. He was a man after God's own heart. Read the Psalms. Read what Solomon said my dad told me. And you will find them saying, the Bible is perfect. The Bible is powerful. God's word changes you. God's word is strengthening you. It'll keep you from evil. It's the light that should light up every single step you take. I don't take a step without that light. It says it's been proven. It's been tested, refined down to pure gold. That There's, there's no error in it. The longest book of the Bible happens to almost also be in the middle of the Bible, which is about what? God's word and David describing the specific reality that it, every word is it. Jesus said, not one little breath mark, not one little comma will be able to pass away. It'd be easier for the heavens and the earth to pass away than for the tiniest little breath mark to be destroyed from God's word. And man, right from the beginning, the devil knew. If I can get them to generalize God's word, then I've succeeded. He knew he had her. As soon as she said something God didn't say, well, it doesn't matter. I, I think God should, could have said something like that, and therefore I think it is in his word. Eve, you added into his word. Deuteronomy 4.2 says, You shall not add to the word which I've commanded you, nor take from it, that you may keep the commandments of the Lord your God which I command you. Deuteronomy 12.32, Whatever I command you, be careful to observe it. You shall not add to it, nor take away from it. Proverbs 30, verse 5 and 6, every word of the God is pure. He is a shield of those who put their trust in him. Do not add to his words, lest he rebuke you and you be found a liar. Revelation 22, 18 and 19, for I testify to everyone who hears the words of the prophecy of this book. If anyone adds these things, God will add to him the plagues that are written in this book. Wow. If anyone takes away from the words of the book of this prophecy, God shall take away his part from the book of life, from the holy city, from the things which are written in this book. Wow. But the way God thinks about Revelation is the way he thinks about all of the scriptures. It is exact. You cannot just say something and add to it. I, I had a guy years ago and and, and he said, well, you know, the Lord helps those who helps themselves. And I said, well, you know, that's not in the Bible. And he said, it should be. 
Next week he came back and in the back of his Bible, sure enough, he had written it in there. And I said, I said, just stand back away from me, man. I, I just don't even want to be near you. Well, going on here, in verse 4 and 5 now, and the serpent said to the woman, you shall not surely die. I think he, he was just blaspheming with all his might. I want to say emphatically, dogmatically, powerfully, the opposite of what God says. Now, I think Adam and Eve very simplicitly thought the way we think. Oh, you'll fall down dead. You quit breathing and you'll become fertilizer under the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. But in essence, God said, you're going to bring about death. He did by the sacrifice when he closed them. That was on the same day. There was death. They would ultimately have death. For them, it'd be almost a thousand years away, but they would start seeing death and cancer and murders and rapes and a whole lot more than just physically dying, although that process also began that day. The clock of their death started that moment they ate of that. But of course, the most important death he was speaking of was what? That, yeah, the separation. That's what death is. The real, if you go through the Bible, the real definition of death is being separated from God. We're made in his image. We're never complete until we're walking in his image and obedience, submission to him. But those people that are unwilling to ever do that, he there will separate them with the king of the guy who was, does not want to obey God, Satan, all the demons that fell from heaven with him, and all men who do not want to submit unto God, they shall eternally die. That was what he was talking about. But Satan is thinking, no, nah, I can prove to you you won't die. I think he understood it from a more mature sense, the way God saw it. But God knows that in the day you eat of it, your eyes shall be open. That's true. And you shall be like God. Well, not really. But yes, in that aspect, that's true, sort of. And you'll know good from evil. You will, but that's not going to be a nice thing. It's not going to be something that benefits you. But the devil is at the very core of his prideful nature, a liar. He just loves to say the opposite of what God says. In John 8, 44, for you are of your father, the devil. He's talking to the Pharisees, the religious leaders. I hate when people say, oh, you're religious. No, <laughs> no. <laughs> Most religious people today are like the Pharisees of the Bible. Their, their father is the devil not the grace and the love of, of, of the Father we know. And the desires of your Father you want to do. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there's no truth in him. When he speaks a lie, he speaks from his own resources for he is a liar and the father of it. Satan here is speaking out of the abundance of his own heart, isn't he? The day you eat of it, you shall become equal to God. Wasn't that really, isn't that really what Satan at his goal is all about? I want to be, he didn't, you know, he's a humble person. He didn't say, I want to be above God. I'm humble. I'll say, I want to be equal to God. 
I want to be as God. I want all the glory that God gets. And of course, I don't think he plans on sharing that <laughs> with God. But anyway, I will ascend to the, I will exalt, I will set, I will be like the Most High. Out of the abundance of his own heart, he, he is sharing with Eve here. Oh yeah, you, you surely want what I want. You surely have this craving to, to be equal to God like me. But understand here, his inference was God is holding you back. God is cheating you. There is something you should be experiencing that God in his oppressive, narrow-mindedness is keeping you from experience. You think about it. That's what our sins are. Did God really say, I can't drink alcohol? Drink. But what you'll find is you, you'll end up drinking more than you should. Did God really say that sex only can be between a man and a wife? That seems oppressive. Can I also do this? Can I also do that? It, you, you find that it's, it's God is, is keeping me back. I just need to expand it a little bit in my freedoms. Then I'll really be free. Let, let me tell you something. Satan says you'll be better. You'll, you'll be, your eyes will be opened. You'll have the knowledge of good and evil. Woo! Do you think Adam and Eve thought their life was better <laughs> after their eyes were opened? Do you, how many people do you think have an adulterous affair say afterwards, oh my gosh, my life was so much better after the start having an affair. My life is so much better after I started drinking the alcohol. My life is so much better after I started doing the drugs. My life goes, no. They'll tell you, yeah, it did give me a momentary pleasure. And then after that, which is pain and darkness and hurt. In 1 Timothy 6, 6, godliness with what? Contentment. See, that's the opposite of Satan, isn't it? He wants to be like God, but he doesn't want to be holy. He doesn't want to be content. But the nature of God is, is he is who he is. He can't deny himself. His nature is love and pure and, and, and all the wonderful aspects of his nature with mercy and kindness and, and faithfulness. But then again, God wants the simple things. He just wants you and me in his presence. And so for us now, we don't have to have more. We just got to be content with what we have. Psalm 84, I love this psalm, verse 11. The Lord God is the sun and the shield. The Lord will give grace and glory. Just think about that. Isn't that what you want? God to be your shield? What's the present you really want under the tree, so to speak? Isn't it grace and glory to be in the presence of God in, in a weighty way? To have a worship time with God and it's weighty? To read the Bible and it's weighty? It's, ah, oh, kabod means weight. Like if I had a, you know, a, a cotton ball in this hand and I had an iron ball on this hand. This is ichabod. This is kabod. Without weight, having weight. 
Isn't it, isn't it grace and glory? And then he goes on to say, no good thing will he withhold from those who walk uprightly. Why, why is that? Because if you're walking uprightly, you living under the spout where the blessings are flowing out. You're under the spout where God can be your shield. You're under the spout where grace and glory is what you're drinking on a regular basis. Well, verse six. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, she saw it. In 1 John 2, 16, for all that's in the world, first of all, the lust of the flesh, food, oh, food, I want food, flesh. It was pleasant to the eyes, the lust of the eyes, and it was desirable to make one wise, the pride of life. This is not from the Father, but is of the world. And before that, he says, don't love the world or the things that are in the world. For all that's in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride, I'll have, uh, you, you, he knows in that day that you'll be wise as God is wise. Oh, I, Eva's looking at it going, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, food, yeah, it looks, looks edible. What do you think? Does it look edible to you? It looks to me as juicy and ripe and I, you know, see a little sap there and looks sweet, it looks, looks edible. And then, actually, I look at it, I really like that. It's not like the other, I mean, that's got that little purple hue there. Oh, it's really beautiful. And then, it was going to make one wise. She's just deceived. Have you ever looked at a banana and said, am I going to be smart after I eat this thing or what? It's ridiculous to think that it can make you. Now, people say it's an apple. Where did that come from? It came from Milton's writings in Paradise Lost. Twice in that 10,000 line poem, he says the fruit was an apple. Back in 1667, when he wrote Paradise Lost. No. And so from that, people who again don't read the Bible, but they do read Milton in Paradise Lost. They just assume he's quoting the scriptures and he's being accurate. But again, isn't the devil, isn't the devil tricky? Just to try to make us look stupid by, by saying it was an apple. And now when you eat an apple, realize just, just look at you. Are you eating an apple and, and you're like disobeying God? It's not a fruit that, that we know of. I'm sure it was a unique fruit. Well, then it says there, and she gave to her husband and he ate. Wow. So let's make it clear here. In 1 Timothy 2.14, Adam was not deceived, but the woman being deceived fell into transgression. But yet the Bible makes it abundantly clear that it wasn't Eve's iniquity of being tricked. It was Adam's absolute knowledge. I am sinning. She didn't, she was tricked into it before she knew she was eating this thing. And, and in her mind, she was tricked and she wasn't out and out disobeying God. But Adam, God spoke to Adam. Adam spoke to Eve. Boy, there's another study right there, washing your wife in the water of the word. But 
Adam was the head. The woman was made to be his helpmate. He was the spiritual head. Just a couple of verses here as we finish up. In Romans 5.12, Therefore, just as through one man entered the world, not man and woman, but one man, the spiritual head, death through sin and thus death spread to all men because all sinned. We were all in Adam when he sinned. So death also came to all of mankind. But I want you to notice the opposite, that the first Adam brought us into death, but the second Adam in Christ, the other spiritual head of mankind is Christ. So Romans 5.15, but the free gift is not like the offense. For if one man's offense, many died, much more the grace of God, the gift by the grace of the one man, Jesus Christ, abound in many. Very simply in 1 Corinthians 15, 22, for as Adam all died, even so in Christ, all shall be made alive. In Romans 17, if by the one man's offense, death reigned, this is the key, reigned through the one, much more those who receive abundance of grace and of the gift of righteousness will what? Reign in life through the one, Jesus Christ. In Romans 5.18 now, therefore, as through one man's offense, judgment, this is the key, condemnation came to all men, resulting in that condemnation. Judgment came, resulting in condemnation. So through one man's righteous act, the free gift came to all men, resulting in the justification of life. One more verse, Romans 5.19. For as one man's disobedience, many were made sinners. So also by one man's obedience, many will be made righteous. You say, well, why, why, why was it a garden? Why was it a tree? Why wasn't it a bush or a rock? That kind of rock you can play with, that kind of rock you can't. It would have effect, it effectively done the same thing, wouldn't it? Sure, it would have. They had a free choice, and they could either love God or not love God. They could obey him or disobey him. They had free will. But yet, as we see back, stand back and see the whole story, what do we discover about the tree. Cursed is he who hangs on the tree. Jesus says, as the Son of Man is hung on the tree, the curse of the law, nailing it to that tree, as he was nailed to that tree, we will triumph over Satan, all the principalities and powers. We will triumph because Christ triumphed on the tree for us. It starts in a garden with a conversation with the woman and the devil. It ends in the garden with the son talking to the father. It starts in perfection and bliss. In the garden, Jesus is praying and blood and sweat and is coming, Father, if there's any way for this cup to pass. But what? Not my will, your will. In the second garden was complete submission. There was death that life could come. That's why Paul says, so now death is working in you that life would be in others, just like in Christ. 
started in the garden, finishes in the garden. Started with a tree, ends with the tree. It's interesting that there's only one particular tree mentioned. It's the fig tree. They, they're going to make <laughs> cloth out of fig tree, as we'll see next week. But it's interesting that Jesus tries to eat from the fig tree. He can't get anything. Curses it, and it dies. And they're amazed at the curse of the, the fig tree. Well, Jesus had a particular dislike for the fig tree. And now we know, we know why as we read Genesis.